I know the moment that Satan entered my life. And I say that because I remember being this little girl, probably around four or five years old, sitting in the living room and literally feeling like something entered into me. But then I started hearing voices in my head and I heard those voices probably until I was 38 years old. They would just be screaming at the top of their lungs in my head continually. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. We bring you testimonies of everyday people and how their lives have been transformed by the truth and reality of Jesus. Friends, please follow along on Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC. And for information on how you can share the gospel, check out everydisciplescent.ca. Every Disciple Sent is also on Facebook and Instagram. And my guest today is joining us from Toronto, Ontario. She is the founder and executive director of Rising Angels Awareness and Restorative Care. She's a survivor of sexual and physical abuse, drug addiction, and 15 years of commercial sexual exploitation. She's been sharing her story since 2010, providing assistance to frontline workers and police and various agencies. And here to share her story today, please welcome Katarina McLeod. Hi. How's it going? It's going. It's going. I'm, I'm glad we're finally doing this. So same. And uh, it was great. Friends, uh, Katarina and I actually met, got to know each other a little bit as uh, she came along with uh, Disciple of City to one of our Every Disciple Sent events in Kelowna, British Columbia. So it was great to hang out with you and get to know you out there. Yeah, no, it was awesome. It was an awesome experience. You know, we've tried to, you know, do this before. So meeting you in person, it just, it, it was really nice. It was awesome. And everybody was, it was just great. It was a whole experience. It was amazing. Oh, it was an experience. <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and what a great place too, eh? Kelowna, like. Beautiful. Picturesque. Beautiful. Yes. Very nice. I just wish it was a little warmer, like summer. <laughs> would have been nice. Summer would have been it good. It was beautiful. I don't know yes. who planned that for November, but. Right. But it, no, it was beautiful. I'll have to plan, talk to the planning people and see if they can get that to happen in July. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, let's, let's just dive right into it. I'm just curious. Cause I don't know actually if we talked about it when we met, but when you, when you grew up, when you were a little girl and stuff like that, like were your parents or what was that whole thing? Like were your parents, did you know anything about Jesus or what was it like with your parents and stuff? It's so, it's such a messed up situation. So I did know about Jesus very young. I learned who he was. My father was a Sunday school teacher and we had to go to church every Sunday and there were fellowships happening in our house all the time. And, you know, to me, I had a really strong connection with Jesus from the, from a little girl. And I used to sing on stage and, you know, my daughter sings on, she sings. So I always say she lived the life that I was supposed to live and I'm now trying to live. But, you know, I used to sing on stage and, you know, to me, Jesus was like Santa Claus, you know, he could see you when you were sleeping and you when you were bad, all that kind of stuff. He was just, that's how I perceived him in my head. But unfortunately, you know, my father was sexually abusing me. So it was really confusing how, you know, I had learned about, you know, this God who could see everything, who knew everything, who could had all these 
amazing, you know, he was powerful, but yet this was happening at home. So it confused me as a little girl and it, it made me start to hate God. I hated him. Um, and that's where I kind of, you know, just turned my back and started, you know, living in the flesh and going up my own devices. And I didn't turn back for a few decades. And then kind of obviously a feeling of how could he let that happen? Absolutely. So, I mean, at the time that was happening, um, you know, there was two other men who were also sexually abusing me. So it was so confusing because I knew what they were doing was wrong, but I didn't understand what my father was doing was wrong because he was my dad. Right. So right away puts in that whole daddy issue, um, shame, you know, I was over-sexualized as a little girl. Um, I became angry. I always say to people, I know the moment that Satan entered my life. And I say that because I remember being this little girl, probably around four or five years old, sitting in the living room and literally feeling like something entered into me. But then I started hearing voices in my head and I heard those voices uh, probably until I was 38 years old. They would just be screaming at the top of their lungs in my head continually. So I felt like that was the moment um, that evil, you know, entered into my life. Man, and you can remember hearing that at four or five years old. Yeah, I just remember because I remember being in school and I would start slamming my head or banging my head off my desk because they would not shut up these voices. They would not shut up. And I heard them, you know, when I would try to go to church when I was older, it would be these voices would be so loud in my head and they'd be saying such derogatory things. Um, this pastor would be preaching and, you know, it'd be like stuff I'd be thinking in my head to just scream out loud and I'd have to hold it back so hard. And I knew that wasn't me. I knew there was something in me, but I felt that God betrayed me. And at that point, Satan almost felt more real to me than God ever did, you know, and I ended up into witchcraft. I ended up into, you know, Satanism and all of those dark places looking for something, anything other than God, because I felt he betrayed me. Was, was your mom aware of this stuff or was this something that you sort of like, you know what? It's, it's so, I believe in my heart. She was aware. I do. I know there was, you know, there was a lot of shame when her and my father finally did separate the church shunned her, you know, he, she, she got black blacklisted out of everything. I don't think there's any way, honestly, being a mother today that you don't know that something's going on. I mean, my father would come and sleep in my room with me. Like who does that? You know what I mean? Um, there was just little things like me. I started having nightmares and wetting the bed and all of that kind of stuff. And if you're, you know, aware of your, your child and their behavior, you can't deny that. Right. So I think somewhere inside, I think she knew, but I think she had her own history of, you know, bad stuff that had happened in her life and who knows what was going on with her and, and my father at that time. Right. So why she didn't feel she could help me or do something. Yeah. So did you, uh, like when you became a teenager, did you split? Did you go out on your own or what happened when they separated? How old were you? And um, I think I was nine when they separated. And I, I remember she came to my school 
because we were going to go down east. Me, I have two brothers. We were all going to go down east while this whole divorce thing happened. And she pulled me out of school and we were taking a train down to see my, my grandmother. And she told me on the train. And I remember I was sitting on beside a nun on the train. And she told me, you know, mommy and daddy are splitting up and whatever. And I laughed hysterically. I was so happy. And my brothers were crying, but I was so happy. And, you know, so life, life changed. Like my dad, he moved into some complex where he ended up moving us into the same complex. Now he had, you know, a new woman and a stepchild and it was just chaos. So I very young, I, I, you know, by the time I was 12 years old, I was drinking, I was using drugs. I was having sex with men. Um, I was getting the attention that I so wanted and so needed. And I had learned, like I said, I was sexualized so young that I knew what a man, you know, what I thought a man wanted or expected. And I used that, um, to get the attention. So, you know, pregnant by the time I was 14 years old, expelled by expelled from school in grade nine, violent, being arrested, assault charges, like just crazy. And then getting involved with somebody who is a Satanist and then starting that whole dark part of my life, you know, in between Satanism and witchcraft. Um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And then I ended up married at 17 years old to a man who was very abusive. But again, if he wasn't, I probably wouldn't have been with him. Right. Cause it didn't feel normal if you were the good guy. And I won't go into all the details, but he was murdered. And the man who murdered him um, basically held me and my kids hostage for three years. Um, didn't go to the police out of fear didn't, you know, there was violence, you know, he was burning me with cigarettes. He was whipping me. It was all kind of crazy, crazy chaotic stuff happening that I didn't tell the police what had happened. And, um, that's how I ended up kind of falling into prostitution is I actually went to a woman's support group for abused women, which he allowed me to do. And that was only to deter the police. So three things he wanted me to do was file for divorce, um, get a restraining order and go to a support group. So I did all of that. And in the support group, I met a woman who turned out to be a pimp who offered me, you know, I could make money, I could do whatever. And in my mind, all I kept thinking was I could save money and get out of this situation. And I actually told the guy who murdered my husband what I was going to do. And he was fine with it. And that's what started me into the whole sex trade. So that was like, uh, okay, well, so first of all, then just, you know, at this point where your husband gets murdered and everything, you must, Mm. God must not even exist to you at this point, I would suspect. You know, it's so, the thing was, is I always heard God's voice and I always heard it throughout my whole entire life, but I ignored it. Um, I would scream and yell at him. I mean, I still knew he was real. I just hated him. You know, I hated why, why was I in this mess? Why didn't he save me? Why did all this stuff keep happening to me? Um, so I hated him. So I, it, it's so confusing because I knew he was real. I experienced him as a child. Um, you know, but then all of this crazy in my life happened. So I just shut the door. I didn't want to hear him and he would knock and I would shut it. And I didn't want anything to do with him. 
And um, I was just going to numb myself and go on this crazy, you know, adventure of, of hell. That's basically what I did. Do you, do you, can you recount a specific example of hearing him? Like you said, you always heard from him. Can you? Well, I would hear him like, you know, when, so sometimes I hear him audibly where I would hear him call my name oh. or I would hear him say like, I love you. Um, and I would, I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but I would tell him to F off, you know, and just be like F off or I'd scream at the top of my lungs to shut up. Or I could feel, you know, when you're moved by the Holy spirit, for me, I get a really sick feeling in my stomach. Like it's like urgent, you've got to do this, you know, and I would get that a lot. And I don't think I recognized at that point, it was Holy spirit, um, trying to talk to me, but I would just get these urges to, to pray or to talk to God or to worship and, I just kept shutting it down and kept shutting it down, kept shutting it down. And this whole time my father was um, a Christian. I still had contact with him. Um, You know, he would go to church and I was still in this thing of wanting a relationship with my father. It was like, I knew what he did was, I guess, wrong, but I still loved him and I wanted a relationship. And after him and my mother had split up, I, I really searched for that. So I would do things that, he did. So he, you know, was, he was in Taekwondo and he was like, um, a teacher. So I took Taekwondo. He would go to church. Um, so sometimes I would go to church even amongst all of this stuff, just to kind of, you know, see if I could build a relationship with him. And I would go to church and just feel like everybody was staring at me. I shouldn't be here. Um, I don't want to be here. You know, they'd be preaching. I'd be like, Oh my God, shut up. You know, like it would just, it became something to just do to try to build a relationship with him. Um, so it wasn't from the heart at all. No. Um, wow. It's, it's amazing how, I mean, we understand it now that we're programmed to have a relationship yeah. with God, right? Because he's made us in yeah. his image. But it's amazing how even though you had all that tragedy that you're still, your inner being is still desiring to have a relationship with your father. Yeah. You know, uh, and he, it's, it's so true. I just, I wanted, you know, I had that daddy hole. I had, I just wanted him to love me. I wanted all of those things that you want as a little girl. And I couldn't achieve that. And I see God, you know, the the bittersweet part of it for me was that I was exposed to Jesus very young. And I don't think if that didn't happen, I don't know if I'd be here today. You know what I mean? So as horrible that situation was with, and I don't even call him my father because he's not, but as horrible as it was with this person, um, what was going on at home, the fact that I you know, before this all started happening and I was going to church or the, the memories. I mean, my earliest memory of the sexual assault was two. So I don't even think I clued in or understood it. So when I remember going to church, I remember going and singing and, you know, just everybody was so great in that church. And so I think if I wasn't exposed to God as a child, yeah, we really don't believe I would be here. I don't believe that those knocking on the door and him trying to talk to me through all the chaos, um, sitting here now, I can say he was with me through everything. Absolutely everything. Wow. And that's interesting because I've talked to lots of people, well, women in ministry, right? Where they've asked the question like you, how could God let this happen? 
Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, as we know, right, we're in this broken world, but God was with you. It's, it's hard to wrap your hand around, but although the bad stuff was happening to you in the world, he was still with you. Um, so when you got, when you got into prostitution, like, uh, so that was, you were obviously, that was, you were looking for an escape, a way out of that toxic relationship and to get your kids out yeah. right with money and stuff. So that's what led into that for you. Mm-hmm. That's totally what led me into it. And then, you know, it was three years later that I finally went to the police and told them the truth, um, that he had murdered my husband and what had been going on. And that just sent me down deeper and darker that, you know, the PTSD from what I had seen because he had killed him and then taken me with him the next day to where he had killed him and buried him in front of me. And that was kind of his way of like, if you go to the police, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your kids. And obviously I believed him because he just killed somebody. So after, you know, I finally went to the police and he ended up getting arrested and went to prison I had already been, you know, three years into prostitution. I was already drinking and drugging to numb, you know, the the flashes of the crap that had already happened in my life. So I just went down a deeper and darker hole of um, drugs and, you know, witchcraft. And, you know, then I started dating women and just like, just crazy. Anything that you could do that was so wrong, I was doing it. I was doing it. I was experiencing it. I was indulging in it. I just didn't know how to exist um, in the world. And the only way I knew how to do that was to just kind of hate on myself. Like everything that was happening to me, it didn't even become a pity party of like, oh, poor me. It was like I deserved it. I deserved everything that was happening to me. Um, And yeah, the, the worse it was, it was just, it became so normal. I think that was the craziest part looking back is how normal the dysfunction and the chaos became to me. It just was so normal. It's, it just rings such truth to what a lot of people don't believe about in depth is the enemy, right? Of Satan oh, making deception and lies of making you feel, cause you totally didn't deserve any of that, but right. steal, kill and destroy. Right. And make you think that, um, so he he goes to prison. You're you're making money and falling deeper. What what, um, what kind of like witchcraft? Like witchcraft to to numb or like what? Not no, to get too deep I, into that, but just like I ended up um, involved with women. I started dating women. Um, you know, I would go back and forth between women and men. And one particular girl I had met her um, father was a high priest um, in a satanic cult. And she was into witchcraft and we just started doing spells together. We would be out there doing seances, you know, worshiping the new moon, all the moons that came, putting curses and hexes on people, um, just stuff that to, you know, people on the outside, they may be like, Oh, whatever. They're just, you know, two girls doing stupid stuff, but it was really dark stuff. It was very dark stuff. Like I had a whole, um, it was like a whole, this whole box, like a huge box full of like witch paraphernalia and, you know, wands and magic stuff and spell books and satanic Bible. And it was all there. And I felt more powerful than I ever did in my life at that point mm. by 
doing these spells, by doing these curses. Um, and I did see some of these curses come to fruition. Like, I'm not even going to lie. Bad things happen to people um, that I want it to happen to people by putting curses on them or, you know, praying to Satan for these bad things to happen. And at that point, it was just he was more real. It was like you, he was more real to me than God ever was. And so it became this almost like this high that I would get out of doing these <clears throat> satanic ceremonies and these witchcraft ceremonies and, you know, hanging with some pretty, pretty, really bad people. Like there's a lot of disgusting stuff that goes on in satanic cults and people don't understand it. Um, I went to a few of their ceremonies and it was scary. I can remember the first time I went to a satanic ceremony um, and there were people dressed in cloaks. There were people who were, you know, praying in different languages. There was candles. There was urine. People were like washing their faces with urine and worms. Like there was kind of crazy stuff going on. Um, they always talked about sacrificing stuff. The girl I was with, she was like, come with me. They're going to sacrifice a baby tonight. They're going to do that kind of stuff. And yeah, I don't want to say anymore, but there was some bad stuff that happened. Oh, that's really crazy. Yeah. Really crazy. Now, were you still hearing voices in your head? Yeah, I heard voices in my head up until I was about 40 years old when I got prayer, the deliverance the first time. Okay, so let's let's fast forward through because we don't want to dig into your into trauma and all the all that stuff. But let's fast forward into you in the game. At what point yeah. at what point did it get to where either Jesus intervened completely or you wanted to get out or what did that look like? What did the end of the game look like for you? <laughs> so my daughter, and this is, this is where it started. My, my firstborn child that I had when I was 15, um, she became a Christian really early. I think she was like 12 or 13. Um, again, me wanting to go to church to have a relationship with my father, I would take her. And, you know, I ran out and was like, this isn't for me, but she stayed and she got saved. And in being saved, she prayed for me for eight years. So, you know, she knew what I did. I would come home and there would be Bible scriptures on my door about, you know, how God loved me, um, my worth, whatever. I thought she was in a cult. She's crazy. God don't <laughs> love me, whatever. You know, she dragged me to like, it's Christmas Eve, come to church. I'd be like, oh my God. But I'd go with her. The so irony, I really eh? believe. Yeah, right. Yeah. You were so, in a cult and you thought she was in a cult. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought she was nuts, right? Uh, we, I was a very unlovable mother. I was not a good mom, right? And here was this child who, you know, was ministering into my life and praying for my salvation. And when I finally, finally got out, um, you know, it was through a client that I got out. I was at a point I had been in for 15 years. It had gone above and beyond any more that I could take. I mean, I was servicing, you know, 12, 15 men a day, you know, I was doing stuff out of my car, out of my house and apartments and massage parlors and strip joints. Like it was just, it just was getting out of control. <clears throat> and the violence that occurred in that was horrible. You know, I'm coming home, I'm drunk, I'm high. My kids are putting me to bed. I'm, I'm beat up. They're taking care of me. Like it was chaos. So, you know, I had met a client who, we started to have a connection and he offered me an out. And at that point I was so suicidal. I was going to kill somebody or kill myself. That's the point that it had got to. <clears throat> so I took his offer and 
you know what? For three years, he supported me. He supported my kids. He didn't want me to have a job. He said, well, you know, if you work, you got to pay for a babysitter. So I volunteered with police um, to help them with human trafficking. I volunteered with different organizations. So I started going out there and telling my story and, you know, speaking the truth of what happens to somebody when they go through this. And um, three years later, this guy's like, you know, I'm leaving you. And I had nothing. I had no education. I had nothing under my belt. I didn't even have a job, legit job and all that kind of stuff. So I was going to go back to prostitution. And it was my daughter who had been praying for me. I called her and she was destroyed. And at that time she was in, um, she had youth leaders who had kind of been her mentors throughout her life. And she called them and they offered to pay first and last month's rent to me. And at first I was like, no, I'm not taking money from crazy Jesus people. (laughs) And that's why I'm like, this is, and I didn't like this woman. I had met her before. I'm like, oh my God, I can't stand her. And, um, I made an appointment with a client and I went to a hotel room and I couldn't go through with the transaction. I couldn't go through with it. So I ended up taking the money and out of taking that money, I felt obligated to go to church. And that's where the whole (laughs) journey began. So I would sit in church every Sunday with this woman and her husband who have become my mentor. And they are also part of rising angels um, and go to church. And then she, you know, they were offering an alpha program and she's like, Oh, you know, do you want to go to alpha? And I thought she really wanted to go to alpha, not realizing she'd already been in the church for 25 years. (laughs) So again, felt obligated, went to alpha but on a mission to destroy God, um, you know, prove he was like every other man I've known in my life. And um, it was the ninth week in Alpha. I had come into Alpha and I was devastated. There was a lot of really bad stuff going on in my life still. And um, I left there suicidal. I was going to kill myself. So I left at 9 p.m. I kept driving around, speeding up to like the poles on the highway. I was going to like crash into a pole and kill myself. And about 12.35 a.m., I heard a voice that said, just give me a chance. And I knew the voice. I had heard it many times during my life, and I knew it was God. And I remember pulling over the car at that point and saying, okay, God, do your thing. Just do it. And there was no fireworks. There was no, like, aha. But I'll tell you, that hole that I had been trying to fill my whole life was instantly filled. I had a peace that I have never, ever had in my whole entire life in that moment. Sitting in a and car. Sitting in a car. Sitting in a car after driving, I don't know how many hours, to a pole, back off a pole, to a pole. Like, I was going to die that night. Wow. And I can remember calling Deidre, my daughter, and saying, okay, I just accepted God into my life. And she was hysterical. And she's like, do you know what that means? And I'm like, oh, my God, what does it mean? What did I do? I was freaking out. You're part of the kingdom. And it was like, I think, a bigger deal to her than it was to me at that point. But it's what started everything. It was the willingness that allowed God to come in and start to do the work that he needed to do in me. And just a, a tangible piece out of nothing. Out of nothing. I mean, I had been drugging and drinking and, you know, just having sex with all kinds of people. And, you know, I was cutting myself. I had tried to commit suicide so many times. Like there's so much I had done to hurt myself. And 
that you know you it's temporary you know you buy something and you feel good for a second that's what it was always like you know in the beginning the drugs were fun and then i needed them to numb then i needed them to cope they weren't fun anymore you know so i was existing every day i wasn't alive i was just i felt like a robot just getting up and doing the same thing every day but not understanding when i left the game when i finally left the game the damage that I was left with, I didn't even know there was that much damage until I left. And then that's where I had seen like, Oh my God, now you're an addict. And, you know, I detoxed myself for six months to get off drugs. Uh, I was too scared to go to a detox for fear that they would take my kids. So I did it myself. Um, the PTSD, the nightmares, the trauma, the like all of that stuff. And that stuff still happened. Even though I accept it got into my life, it still happened, but it made it easier if that makes sense, yeah, you know, so now I was, go ahead. Sorry. Well, so what, so what was the process after that? So you felt that piece you told your daughter, did you, you yeah. obviously shared with your, your newfound my, mentor? My, yeah. So I started going to church regularly. Um, I was praying all the time, you know, there was people intercessoring. And then I, I remember standing in front of the mirror one day and I felt like, you know what? Yep. Yep. God loves me. I have Christ in me but there's something else in me. And I, I could stand, I could look at myself in the mirror and it was like somebody was looking back at me and I knew there was oppression in there. There had to be, there's no way there couldn't be from everything that I went through. So I called my mentor. Um, and I said, I, I think I need prayer. I think I need like a deliverance prayer. And so she got my pastor together. It was my pastor, my a youth pastor, her, her husband, my, and my daughter all came to do this prayer on me. And, um, I was so scared, you know, I'm going to go exorcist. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> something's going to happen. And, um, I did, I did manifest. I don't remember a lot of it, but, um, I went through a bunch of stuff from what they had told me, but when I came through it, the voices in my head stopped. Yes. That's when they stopped. And the next weekend, when I went to church, they were gone. I didn't hear it anymore. Wow. So that was the first deliverance that I had. I've had a few more since then, <laughs> but you know, we were laughing, but it's true. Like, you know, I think people have to understand that, you know, even though you're Christian, um, Christians can still have oppression. It's different than possession, right? So yeah. there's things that we've invited into our lives or that have attached to us because of other people that need to get prayed off of. It doesn't matter um, that you're a Christian. There's things there. And that's what, you know, prayers for an intercessory and all of that stuff is to break those chains and generational ties and things that have happened to you. You know, I, like I said, I remember the moment I feel that Satan came into my life and that wasn't my fault. That was what people had done to me, but it opened up something really dark, right? When people are evil and they do things, it opens something up in you if you don't have Christ right? Yeah. If you're not on, on straight and narrow. So, you know, I used to sit there and go, God, why did you let this happen to me? I hate you and blah, blah, blah. And when I started to get my healing, God gave me a vision one day and that vision, I started seeing a Christian counselor, which was amazing because God just broke off things like that. And I was sitting there and she's like, okay, we're going to just pray Holy spirit. And you're, you know, Holy spirit's going to direct this. And I had a vision of a moment that I was being raped. And in that moment of being raped and I'm crying, 
When I turned my head, Jesus was laying on his side, holding my hand. And I realized in that moment that people have free will and there is evil in this world. And then bad things happen to good people or to people in general. And it doesn't mean that God's not there. He was there. Like, Todd, I should have been dead a hundred times over. And I'm not. You know what I mean? I came out of 15 years of prostitution. I never caught an STD in my life. Never got a charge for prostitution. You know, like there's so many aha moments when I look back um, where I should be. I, I shouldn't be here and I'm here. Yeah. And I know that's by the grace of God. Like I know it. I remember sitting in the church with Deidre and going, okay, if I hear, you know, the word grace 13 times, uh, you know, I'll, I'll really believe there's a God. And we heard it like 20 something times, right? <laughs> like, so just there was so, there's so many moments in my life since coming out of that darkness. It's not been easy. Like it hasn't been easy. I'm human and I still have to heal from things. And, you know, I would be like, God, for some people you just break it off, but it seems you're letting me sit in all this crap. Like why there's lessons to be learned, yeah. right? There's character to be built. There's faith to be built. So I understand why I've had to go through the healing journey that I've had to. Now, don't get me wrong. There's been those moments when I went to get prayer over what my father had done. You know, I thought I was going to die when it finally hit me what he had done to me. I thought like, wow, he was the catalyst to everything. Oh my God, I can't handle this. It's my dad. It's my daddy. Like that went through my head. And I, I looked at my therapist and I said, I think I'm going to kill myself. Like, I don't think I can do this. And we, and she prayed for me and I had a vision of Jesus beheading my father clean, no blood, no gore. He just, that sort of righteousness came and beheaded him. And from that moment, I've never had hatred or anger. It doesn't bother me. It's gone. Wow. Amen. Yeah. 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 And that piece is that forgiveness piece is such a huge piece for freedom. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, that deliverance thing too is so powerful. And, you know, we, we were laughing, but we weren't laughing like we were just cause we experienced something together, but, um, like in Kelowna with all that, but, uh, laughing because of the freedom. Right. And that, like yeah. you said, a lot of people don't believe it, but really like, you know, things happen to you, but then there's also things that we do that open it up. Like when you got into witchcraft and the different yep. things like that. And it's like having a, it's like having a crazy party and all kinds of strangers come cause you've left the door open and you've allowed it in. And then even yep. though the party's over, some of them have hid in the attic and you didn't realize and you didn't clean them out. And really that's right. And you got to get them out of there and then lock the gate and fill the space with Christ and his love. Hey, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, my daughter and I would go through my house and we, we go through mom, all the stuff needs to go like idols or things that I thought, you know, had no attachment, excuse me, or meaning. And she'd be like, mom, that's like, not good. That's, that's, you know, evil, get it out of your house. So we would do these cleanses where I just start taking stuff out of my house because, you know, demons attached to things. They come in like we, we think, oh, we've got, you know, a, a, an idol of some sort in our house. It's just a statue. It means nothing. It absolutely does. 
It absolutely does. I remember being in a hairdresser and I was right into Egyptians, Egyptian stuff. And I had Egyptian paraphernalia through my whole house. And I've got a lot of Egyptian tattoos over the years. And I remember going in there and some woman came up to me and she seen my, I have a Nefertiti on my arm. And she said, you need to get everything that has to do with Egyptian out of your house right now. And I was like, is this woman crazy? But because I had thousands of dollars worth of stuff, but I went home and I got rid of that stuff and I felt the shift in my house. And I wasn't a believer then either, you know, there's, there's just aha moments. It's like, my name is not Katerina. That's not my birth name. Um, the name that I was born with, I wanted to legally change it. And again, this is before I accepted Christ into my life. I felt like every time I heard my birth name, it triggered a lot of stuff. So I'm like, I'm going to change my name. I'm going to change my name. And one day Deidre calls me out of the blue and she's like, mom, I believe God has a new name for you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, seriously, <laughs> like what is going on? How does she know this? And I remember going to sleep and hearing the name Katerina three times. Wow. I woke up, I Googled it and Katerina means pure. So I legally changed my name Wow. to Katerina. Yeah. That's awesome. So there's always been these God moments in my life, even when I didn't believe, because there was always somewhere I knew he was real. Like there were times when I was in the game that I would drive to work praying, you know, I would drive to work and I'd be like, okay, God, let us make fast money. Don't let the guys be horrible, protect us, you know, like a simple prayer like that. Um, and to other people, it may seem like such a joke, like really, or a prostitute and you're praying for God to protect you. Yeah, I did. And you know what? I think he did. <laughs> you know, things could have been a lot worse than they were. Yeah. So mm -hmm. how, so take us to the beginning of um, Rising Angels. Yeah. So like I said, when I first got out, I wanted to share my story. I wanted to scream from the mountaintops the truth of what happens to somebody who's been sexually exploited. There's There was nothing out there for me. When I got out, there was no, you know, help groups or anybody who was trauma informed or even survivors at this point um, who were doing that. Human trafficking wasn't even a big thing back then. So I started to, like I said, go out there, work with police, you know, tell my story, do all of that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I wanted to have something that was my own, that was unique, that was, you know, we would be able to, you know, get funders so we could help women, you know, when you don't have an organization or a non-for-profit and it's not, you know, you're not a non-for-profit, you're not registered. You can't, you're not, nobody's going to donate to you really. Cause you need it. They want tax receipts and that kind of stuff. So that was part of it. I wanted to be able to raise funds to be able to help other women. So, you know, pay bills for them, pay rent if they need it, if they need groceries, if they need that stuff to keep them from falling back into the game. You know, because it was always that kind of stuff for me when I was struggling, like, I can't buy my groceries, I'm going to have to go back, or I would think about it, you know what I mean? Um, I want it to be a mentor, I wanted women to be able to call me at any time when they were having crisis so I could talk them down. And um, I wanted to just go out there and tell the truth and do my speaking and train people on what this all looks like and everything like that. So that's where Rising Angels came from. And, um, yeah, like we just did our Christmas deliveries to our girls. And it's funny because I'm a very humble person 
And I'm always like, yeah, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. But, you know, there's times I get these messages from the girls who are like, they call me Mama Cat or Mama OG. And um, yeah, like original gangster. Oh, right? yeah. I like it. <laughs> Mama OG. Um, and they just, they're like, I love you so much. Like, you saved my life. You thank you for existing. And it's those moments that I feel like, yeah. Okay, I get it. You know, I get why I went through everything to be where I am today. And those are the moments that I need so much to remind me of why I do what I do because it's heartbreaking. It's exhausting. There's a thousand times I'm like, I want to walk away from this. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, it's hard, right? Like, I feel like sometimes I never got, I never left the game because now I've just moved on a different platform where I'm hearing other people's horror stories all the time. Right. But when you get those moments where, you know, somebody is really thanking you from the bottom of their heart and you can feel it, that is to me what keeps me doing what I'm doing. Right. And I'm open. Like, I don't know where God's going to lead me in life. And I'm always saying, you know, God, you know, rising angels could be a season. It could be a few seasons. I don't know where he wants me to go, but I'm open and I'm willing. And so for now, this is where I am and this is what I'm doing. And right now you're reflecting his heart for those girls. Yeah. Yeah. I see, I see so much, um, ancestral abuse. I see so much, I see so many families who have trafficked their own daughters and, you know, there's nothing they can say to me that shocks me. And I think that's partially why God uses me because like, it's like, they tell me these horror stories. I'm like, okay, yeah, I got it. You know? Um, and it's not that I'm desensitized. It's that I've been through probably 90% of what anybody tells me I've been there. I felt it. And for me, if I can sit here, they can sit here eventually. You know what I mean? And I know there's hope. And that's the biggest thing for me is there's hope for every single person in this world. I don't care where you come from, what you've done, there is hope. And that hope is through Christ. And I know that, but the girls have to get there. Yeah. And, you know, I mirror it, you know, if they want to know, well, can't, can't, tell me, how did you get out or what's your story? Then I can share with them that it was God who saved me. Yeah, You know, this is a God ordained thing. And, you know, we have women who have all different beliefs who are finally you know, believing in God or wanting to know more about God, or can you just pray with me? And that's exciting for me. Amen. That's very. Mm-hmm. So how many, how many girls are you currently helping? Like you said, you know, you just finished helping out your girls. Like how many yeah. girls is your, or, and obviously it's open as, as more come, but what do you, how, what's the numbers you're kind of dealing with right now? So, you know, there would be one off so many one offs. So we could be dealing with, you know, so many girls at one time, but on a consistent basis, there's about 11 girls that I mentor consistently. Um, it got to a point where I had to cap it because I couldn't take on anybody else. And so we've just brought another mentor on. Um, and we just got another girl yesterday. So, you know, it was a long time coming to be able to raise funds to pay somebody else. You can't expect somebody to do this type of work and not, you know, um, pay them for it. So we were able to raise funds and, um, hire somebody part-time so that we could take on more women, you know, and it's not just women. I mean, I have women, I have 11 women on a regular that I see, but I also mentor moms, you know, Mm. um, 
because it's not, a, you know, it's not just them who's the victim uh, that's happened. It's their families affected. The people that love them are affected. So they need to understand how to maneuver this, how to support them, you know, what's right or what's wrong. So I talk to a lot of moms too. And so the, the other people in Rising Angels, is it the couple that mentored you originally? Did you say that earlier? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, her name's Sheila and his name's Todd. So they're like my spiritual parents. Um, it's really cool because God gave me back parents that I never had, um, like healthy, you know, healthy parents. And she's walked with me. It's like 12 or 13 years now, maybe even a little bit more. Um, and she basically got me at such a broken stage in my life, but she stood by me through it all. And, you know, I was manipulative. I lied to her. I was cruel to her. I was, you know, I was traumatized. So I didn't even know how to have a relationship with anybody. So I had to learn all of that. I had to learn life skills again. I had to learn budgeting. I had to learn how to dress. I had to learn how to talk. I had to learn all of these things that were, you know, taken away from me living in that lifestyle. Um, and she helped me with that. She helped me get on my feet. She helped me do that. And, you know, she's, she's one of my biggest supports. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and also you do some speaking engagements, right? Like in addition to helping police yeah. and different yeah. stuff like that. So what, what, uh, what are some so examples I, of your speaking engagements? I've gone into schools um, and talked to students about trafficking signs, what to watch for, um, their vulnerability, um, how it can happen to anybody. I've gone to churches and shared my, you know, testimony. And then I, I speak to the public. We do sometimes just public forums or awareness and, you know, I'll tell my story. I'll educate them on trafficking signs to look out for. So pretty much anybody who is open to hearing the truth about this, I speak to. That's great. You know, done a lot of documentaries, done a lot of, um, you know, stuff with the media, done all kinds of different stuff just to try to bring awareness around what's really happening right here, you know, in Ontario. And and really, a lot of stuff happens and people, by and large, are not aware that it's even happening or we think perhaps it's worse in other countries around yeah. the world when meanwhile, it's a global, it's a pandemic. It's a itself is it, it not it, it absolutely is well the, the you know i think the sad part about all of this is unfortunately the culture that our children live in right now is a pimp culture you know sugar babies are normal only fans is normal um hook hookups are normal having you know a girlfriend and a side girlfriend is normal that's all pimp, pimp lingo and pimp culture so when these girls are getting groomed in they don't even see it happening because they've been so immersed in this and the normal that by the time they get groomed and are lured in, it's, it's too late and they didn't even see it coming. So we've got a, a big battle on our hands with what the media portrays as normal and cool and whatever to what really isn't. I mean, our kids don't even know what intimacy looks like anymore or building relationships or what's healthy. So it's really, it's difficult for these guys growing up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in addition to that, recently we were in, like we talked about earlier at the beginning of the show, we were in Kelowna, BC for every disciple sent for our event, equipping event. And then after was the school that you stayed yes. with. And uh, you were telling me how you went out with your daughter and, and with Brody into a tent city in Kelowna. 
to yeah. share to share the gospel to share the truth with mm-hmm. the people can you share a story of, i can share that? a couple stories but i'll share one so deidre didn't come to with us to the tent city she 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 doesn't feel i think that stuff's really heavy for her so Brody and I went, um, we brought a couple of people with us and, you know, we're literally out there praying for people while they're smoking crack pipes, um, while they're huffing paint. But there was one woman, we went up to her tent and she didn't come out. She was, you know, we were asking if they needed hats, you know, we bought hats and socks and mitts and stuff. And she was talking to Brody and I through the tent, this woman, and she was talking about her daughter and saying like her daughter was missing. Her daughter was with a really bad guy and she's going on and on and on and on. And so Brody and I are like, okay, let's pray for your daughter, you know, to come back. And so we finished praying and then this girl goes to walk in the tent and I'm like, hold on a second. Are you such and such? And she's like, yes, I am. So the daughter actually showed up after we prayed <laughs> and then the mother comes out of the tent And the mother is dressed like she's done right up. And I'm like, right away, first I thought she was a prostitute, but she wasn't. She, she, it was so cool because she's wearing this jacket that had angel wings on the back of it, first and foremost. And I'm thinking rising angels. She had literally drove to find her daughter. So she lives somewhere else a few hours away. She had drove looking for her daughter to try to get her into a rehab. And she had told me that her daughter was with um, a pimp, a really violent pimp. Um, This pimp had locked her in a room for four days, uh, starved her, put guns down her throat, all kinds of stuff. So I was able to speak to the daughter, able to, you know, kind of share a little bit about myself, but she wasn't in a place to really hear hear me. Um, But I was able to pray with the mom and minister to the mom. And it was so powerful in that moment, you know, like two moms praying for a daughter. Um, So yeah, we gave her my number. If she needs to reach out, if she needs to talk. And then when we went back to tent city again, they weren't there. So I don't know if, you know, good things happen, but they were nowhere to be found. Cause I specifically wanted to go back there to be like, Hey, follow up. Um, But they weren't there. The tent city was so dark. I mean, you've got, all these homeless people, these people who are addicted, the girls that we spoke to were so scared to even be there. They were on the street, Um, but they were open. Like everybody in there was open to getting prayer, to hearing about God, to getting a Bible, to, you know, all of that stuff. And I find that with the people who are on the street. And I think it's because they've been through so much and they're, they're so real and raw that, you know, they're just open. And a lot of them knew so much about God. It was like they were ministering to us. So it was a really good experience. Um, And I think for me, like, that's where I feel so alive is when I'm out there and I'm ministering because I've done street outreach here where I live. And I just enjoy it. I enjoy like praying for people and and just meeting them and doing them one-offs and just giving encouraging words, right? And we live in such a dark, broken world yeah. And when you can bring to somebody like, Hey, you know, I've been there, I've been homeless, you know, I've been an addict. I was, I was exploited. I've been there. I get you. You know what I mean? There are brighter days, but you got to do the work. You got to do it. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's a great story. Um, Katarina, let's talk about, uh, like we're starting to run out of time here. So rising angels, what's your website self-promotion here for your ministry there rising angels. What's okay. the website? So it's www.risingangels.net. 
Um, we do have a YouTube channel as well, um, which is Rising Angels. We have an Instagram, Rising Angels, um, and we have a Facebook page. What's the handle for the Instagram? That's good question. <laughs> I don't even know. Okay, well, okay. So, friends, we'll we'll I'll get the we'll we'll slide back into the green yeah. room. I'll get the handle for the Instagram <laughs> okay. from Katarina. We'll put it in the liner notes and and on our Instagram page. Um, yeah. And so people can, if, if people are drawn to this or their heart is drawn to this, to supporting these girls in, yeah. uh, in the Toronto area, I'm, I gather, mm-hmm. um, they I actually, can... I'd go all over. Like I deal with the whole Canada. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so people can go on to your website and find a donation section there. Absolutely. So we are always looking for monthly partners. Uh, but one-time donations help as well. And prayer. We need prayer. Always need prayer. Yeah. So please pray for that, friends. And if anybody feels led to check out that Rising Angels. And uh, again, we'll have that on the Instagram page and on the liner notes. So my friend, I have one one more question for you. Okay. Um, if you get a call tonight and you have to, and you go out and you meet, um, say an 18 year old girl, 18, 19 year old girl, super young. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's, who's experienced a childhood similar to you. Yeah. Um, and, and it immediately comes out about God that she just doesn't believe or, you know, where is he? If yeah. he's so real, how could this have happened? What would mm-hmm. you say? What would you say to her to help her nav that? Well, I think I would say to her that, it's, you know, people have free will, unfortunately. And this is the devil's playground. And there are evil people in the world. But you're a child of God. And God loves you. And he wants you to come back to him. And to surrender. And just be open to that. So that the healing can start. That he never abandoned you. He never forgot about you. God's a gentleman. He will knock at the door. But he won't force his way in. He's going to wait for you to open that door. So that would be what I would tell her. Wow, that's powerful. Katerina, it was an honor. It was an honor to meet you the first time through this, but it was such an honor to meet you in Kelowna and hang out with you, and I'm so glad we could become friends. Me too. Me too. It was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. You're welcome. Wow, friends, I'm, I'm, what a shocking story, and I'm really taken aback by Katerina's final words. So powerful that she heard from him all the time. In the devil's playground, she still heard from him all the time. Because he was, he was with her, pursuing her. He'll always pursue you no matter what you're going through. But like Katerina said, he's at the door, but you got to open it. You got to let him in. And as she did in the car that night when she wanted to end it all, she opened the door and Jesus touched her heart and changed her life. 
And now she's able to go out and represent him to so many more. Please open the door, friends. (laughs) 